Thanks for listening to another message from Life Christian Church. We hope it challenges and encourages you and helps you to grow in your faith. Don't forget, download our app to stay up to date with what's going on at Life. Share your prayer requests or pray for others. Read the Bible online and much, much more. Simply search for Life Christian Church in your app store. So this morning, part one of a series, Money, Money, Money. And I'll do part two uh, in a couple of weeks' time. Uh, and the, the whole thing that we need to talk about here is what I believe is the most controlling, driving, most motivating and influential force in the world today. Uh, and unfortunately, for the vast majority of humanity, it's not the Holy Spirit or God, and it's not even love. It is money. Money is a powerful, powerful force. As a church... I know without doubt that we are entering into a season where God is definitely having us focus on the stewardship of our resources. I have no question that through uh, our legacy campaign, which we're going to be launching in two weeks' time on the 8th of September, uh, through a brand new life group series that we're also launching in September, which has actually been planned for this particular slot since the end of last year, and even through these two messages that I'm bringing uh, today and in two weeks' time, I, I, I know that God is speaking to us, I know that God is challenging us, and I know that God is taking us on a journey. Uh, in fact, even this message today, in some regards, God tricked me into preparing now, uh, we had a team that went to Myanmar in March, and uh, when Pastor John, who is the pastor of Every Nation Church in Yangon that we have a very close relationship with, when uh, he knew that we were going to be there for a Sunday, uh, he was very eager to have me preach. And as I always do when I visit a church, I say to the pastor well ahead of time, uh, is, there, is there a series that you're taking the church through, or what's on your heart that I might be able to preach into? Uh, and uh, he said, well, in fact, there is. We're starting a, um, starting a theme or a series called All That Matters. And I'm thinking, All That Matters, that's awesome. I said, that sounds great. What would the topic for the day be? And he said, tithing. And I'm like, oh, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> and i got to be honest, I felt so challenged. I even felt a little bit uncomfortable about being, comparatively speaking, a very wealthy Westerner preaching to a beautiful congregation of believers in a developing uh, nation that in many areas is poor and impoverished. Uh, but I'd committed to it, so I got to preparing. And that's a little bit of what you're getting today. But as I began my message to this church in Yangon, I began my message with a challenge, and this is what I said. I said, friends, let me bring a warning to you this morning. Because as your country continues to open up in the way that it is, you will see far greater economic opportunity, and with economic growth comes wealth. And your country is experiencing rapid economic growth in a way that it never, ever has before. And looking at the nations around you that have experienced similar economic growth and development, the margin between the rich and the poor will widen. 
The rich will get richer and the poor will get poorer. But then cutting through the midst of that and those two extremes, you have a very strong emerging middle class. And I said that would probably include most of you in this room this morning. And I said, here's the warning. And heed this warning as it comes from a pastor living in one of the wealthiest nations on the face of the earth. Here's the warning. As your wealth increases, so does the responsibility you have towards that wealth. God will always test you in regards to your wealth. He wants to know if we are going to continue to be faithful. Because God knows that for most of us, money and material things are the number one competitor for our hearts. And God wants to know this. Will you love and trust money or will you continue to love and trust God? God wants to know, will you place your trust in money and material resources Or will you place your love and trust in God? So Luke 16, verse 10, says this, Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And there's no question that, again, money and material things are the number one competitor for our hearts. And what we need to realize about money and material things is that they can become a counterfeit God. What do I mean when I say that? Well, the devil loves it when we are deceived into thinking that money promises the kinds of things that in truth, God alone can provide. The devil loves it when we are lulled into believing that money in and of itself provides security. If you have more money, you will be more secure. Money promises freedom, they say. If you have more money, you have the greater capacity to be freer in life. Money has the lure and on the surface, seems to hold the promise of power. The more money you have, the more power or influence you bear. Money promises significance. The richer you are, the more significant you will be. But in reality, friends, I would suggest only God can provide any of those things in any meaningful measure. Because you could have a billion dollars in the bank and walk out of here this morning and get hit by a bus and recognize then at that moment that all the money in the world does not give you security, freedom or power. Because it is truly only in Christ you actually find the true perspective on all of this stuff and realize that in Christ I actually find eternal security. In Christ, I find eternal freedom. In Christ, I discover and I tap into God's power, and that is the greatest source of power on the face of the earth. 
It is as I, as I pursue a relationship with Jesus, as I surrender my life to God, that's the place that I actually find meaning and purpose and significance in life. Discovering that God created me. That as the Bible says, He knit me together in my mother's womb. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. That's the place of discovering purpose. And Jesus said, In Matthew 6 and 24, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And again, money is a counterfeit God. And God says, God challenges us, will you worship money and the things that money provides Or will you worship me above all else? Now at this point, you might be thinking, oh, that's all good, and yeah, I agree with that, but what's that got to do with tithing? I mean, isn't tithing a part of old covenant law, and we're free from that now? That's a very, very common understanding. Well, let me say, apparently not, and I say that for a number of reasons. Firstly, in, in Matthew, a bit further on from Matthew 6, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. And as he usually does, uh, Jesus masterfully exposes their hypocrisy. And in this very rare moment, we have this exchange between Jesus and the Pharisees. And unusually, Jesus commends the Pharisees. What did he commend them for? He commended them for their tithing. Matthew 23, 23. Yes, woe upon you Pharisees and you other religious leaders, hypocrites. For you tithe down to the last mint leaf in your garden. That's pretty serious tithing. But you ignore the important things, justice and mercy and faith. Listen to this. Yes, you should tithe, but you shouldn't leave the more important things undone. So Jesus is actually commending them. You are tithing. That's good, guys. But you're a hypocrite because you're doing that, but at the same time, you're neglecting to demonstrate justice and mercy and faithfulness. So there we have an occasion where Jesus himself endorses the practice of tithing. But there's also a really important point of order. Because as you read the Old Testament, you'll quickly discover that tithing actually predates the giving of the law. Predates Moses. It was actually established with Abraham. Now, it became a part of the law, but it predates the law. But here is what we actually discover about the law from Jesus himself. Because in Jesus, what was old covenant law becomes in and through Jesus a new covenant principle. You see, many people wrongly think that the old covenant law is now obsolete because of Jesus. Friends, you've got to get a hold of this today. 
The law is not obsolete in Christ. The law is actually fulfilled in Christ. Big difference. In fact, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said this in Matthew 5 and 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. Listen to this. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. That's pretty heavy duty. So what does it mean when Jesus says, I've not come to abolish the law, not to reduce it, not to change it, but to fulfill it? He's saying, I've come to actually make the law work. It is fulfilled in Jesus because under the old covenant... The law became this impossible set of rules for us to keep. And we failed at it miserably. But under the new covenant, get a hold of this picture, and it's a hover, another whole sermon in itself. But the new, under the new covenant, the, the law is fulfilled because under the new covenant, the believer is filled with the Holy Spirit that then begins to transform our character from the inside out. And the end result of that transformation is that our transformed character brings transformed behavior that reflects the requirements of the Lord. Does that make sense? Paul writes about this, Romans 8 and 3. For what the law was powerless to do, in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, we couldn't keep a bunch of rules, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature, that nature that just couldn't keep a bunch of rules, but live according to the spirit who is transforming our nature, our character, the outworking is transformed behavior that reflects the requirements of the law. Have we got that? So when I hear people say things like, well, tithing is done away with because it's a part of the law, I got to tell you, it, also, it always prompts a question within me. Because the law also says, thou shall not commit adultery. Well, that was part of old covenant law. Surely that's been done away with. Well, let's party. The law also says, thou shalt not murder. Well, that's old covenant law. We're not bound by that anymore, which is really handy because there's some people that really annoy me. So having set that framework, let me move on. Leviticus 27 and 30, a tithe, and the Hebrew word for tithe means a tenth. A tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy, which means it is set apart to the Lord. So here's the principle. A tithe of everything belongs to the Lord. It's not mine. It is holy to the Lord. It is His. And here's the thing, a tithe is not about giving, a tithe is actually about returning. 
It's returning what belongs to God. The Bible says, bring the tithe into the storehouse. It doesn't say, give the tithe to the storehouse because it's not really ours. We bring it and we return it because it's not ours. Friends, God owns everything. He asked for the first and the best 10% to be given back to him. And here's the really cool thing about our wonderfully generous God. He lets us keep 90% of what already belongs to him. Hallelujah. And unfortunately, the Bible says to not return the tithe to the Lord is actually stealing. It is taking from God. Malachi 3 and 8 says this, Will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings. You're under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you're robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that they may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have enough room for it. And actually, this setting is a great example of how money can totally ruin people. Because the people in Malachi's day were living under the provision and the blessing of God, but they had become so secure in that they then came to a place of actually forgetting that it was God who favoured them and blessed them in the first place. And so being blinded by their own prosperity and their own self-sufficiency, they started neglecting their tithe. Because they used to return the first and the best of everything to God. For example, those who uh, were shepherds and had sheep, they would take the finest, most unblemished sheep and that would be what they would bring as a sacrificing, wanting, wanting God to have the best of everything. But then some of them started getting a bit uncomfortable with this. And they're probably saying things like, hang on a second, we are so blessed now. We have so much wealth. We have so much livestock. We can't possibly give a tenth of that to God because that's a huge amount. And the best sheep are worth so much at market. We, we kind of can't rip ourselves off so instead what they started to do was to take the weak sheep or the defective sheep or the deformed sheep and they would bring that to God as their offering and God says you're robbing me I talked to a pastor from the mainland many many years ago who said he had a very very wealthy man in his church who said to his face I don't tithe to the church because they wouldn't know what to do with it. That's a dangerous position. Not only is that man robbing God, he is in effect saying this. My money doesn't belong to God. My money belongs to me. God didn't bless me with it. I earned it. And a tithe of what I earned is a heck of a lot of money. And friends, here's a lesson. If you are ever tempted to think 
that your tithe is a lot of money, you've actually missed the whole point and don't understand what a tithe is. Because a tithe is not actually a lot of money at all. For the simple reason that a tithe is not an amount. A tithe is a tithe. It's a portion. So when it comes to the spiritual responsibility that we carry in regards to the stewardship of our finances, God in his wonderful and infinite wisdom has given every single one of us a totally level playing field regardless of our status, our wealth or our income. God has instituted a tithe, level playing field. So to God, if we are giving in obedience to his instruction, our giving carries one value and one value only. It's a tithe. It's not an amount. God makes no differentiation between amounts. God's not impressed by amounts. But the moment you and I place a comparative value on what we give, we're the ones who are in the wrong. Can I hear an amen? You guys are really quiet this morning. You see, a $1,000 tithe to God has exactly the same value as a $20 tithe. It's a tithe. That's its value. So if one man earns $500 and gives... as his tithe and then a wealthy man earns $1 million and gives $50,000 who's robbing God? Quick, do your maths. It's the rich guy. But what we do, we look at $50,000 and we're really impressed. We look at a $50,000 half tithe and we're taking that guy out to lunch we give him special treatment and you need to know as the senior pastor of this church I do not inquire of our finance team who is giving what in the life of the church I do not have a clue and I live blissfully with that ignorance because I never ever ever want to be lured into giving preferential treatment to people on the basis of what they contribute. Because a $5 tithe has no greater value than a $10,000 tithe. We might be impressed with amounts, but God is not impressed with amounts because tithing is not an amount, it's a portion. Level playing field, praise God. It is a percentage. Now, let me say though, If you have been incredibly faithful in your tithing and then you come to me and say, well, pastor, it's just on my heart, over and above my tithe, I want to give you 100,000 bucks. I'll take you out for coffee on that one. (laughs) So very quickly, here are three three reasons why tithing matters. Number one, the tithe allows the church to function. Malachi 3 and 10 says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. The storehouse in the Old Testament is a picture of the church in the New Testament. 
And the biblical model is that the whole tithe is bought as an offering to the place of worship, the storehouse, the temple, the synagogue, the church. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse of God so that they may be food in my house. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that they may be provision in the house of God. Friends, if we are going to truly reach out and impact this town, this region, this state and the nations as God directs, it takes resource. We know that. It's obvious. But sadly, so often in the church, we can become so guilty of over-expecting and under-investing. We expect so much from the church, but we invest so little in to the church. We must feed what is feeding us. I've had a lot of people over the years tell me in, in, in you know, very decent discussion, I, I don't believe in tithing. And they all say very, very similar things in that regard. They say, you know, I just feel I should give what's on my heart to give. And can I say, I find that a very fascinating fiscal principle. I feel I should just contribute what's on my heart to give. That's got to be a commercial principle that is unique to the church. I mean... See how that principle plays out the next time you go and buy a new car. Oh, hello, Mr. Car Salesman. I like that car over there. It says uh, 35 grand on the window, but uh, I just really feel I just need to contribute what's on my heart to contribute towards the purchase of that car. It's, you're okay with that, aren't you? Friends, let me break this down for a second. Um, at the risk of having things thrown at me, but I want to present this in purely commercial terms, a commercial framework, because that's the way a lot of people think about finance. I am sure that God, who transcends time, God of all of the ages, who was and is and is to come, I'm sure in his infinite wisdom, he looked into the future from day one and was very much aware of the needs and even the pressures of the 21st century Western church. I believe he foreknew a time when the church would have to function organizationally in a corporate culture of OHS and compliance and duty of care. And here's the reality we have to function increasingly in a professional ministry environment that is absolutely under the microscope because of things like government royal commissions that have exposed the endemic institutional abuse of children by some that has now destroyed the credibility of all. And because of these kinds of things, our government increasingly, and I believe quite rightly, is demanding of the church such a high professional standard of qualified professional ministry leaders who are held to account. And it's right that it should be, can I say. 
It's funny, I, I think it was Di Brotheridge. Di here this morning? No, maybe not. Uh, we're at a, I think it was our last management team meeting, and often at management team meetings, this is the kind of stuff we're talking about. And we're talking about our duty of care and talking about the things that must be in place, talking about the responsibilities that we carry that weigh incredibly heavily upon our management team and our eldership and our senior staff. It's a huge responsibility. And I think I turned to die because she was sort of rolling her eyes and going, oh my goodness, you know, uh, at some of the stuff that we're talking about. And I said, how times have changed. 30 years ago, we would have been talking about Lamington Drives. Friends, like it or not, in this day and age, the church is a corporate, not-for-profit service provider. The church is also a place of employment. We have to manage budgets. We have to pay rent and insurance and leases and licenses. We have to pay staff. We have to, above all else, fund vision. So as a result of all of that, and again, I'm just trying to put this into a contemporary corporate context, God in his infinite wisdom, praise God, he has given to the church in the 21st century in the West, in this corporate environment, he has given to the church an operational budget, praise God, and it's called a tithe. So friend... Friends, let us not be guilty of under-investing and over-expecting. Let us feed what is feeding us. Can I urge you and encourage you to bring your whole tithe into the storehouse so that you release your pastors and leaders to be spending their time seeking God for vision and ministering to the needs of the people, not wasting a whole bunch of time and emotional energy crying out to God for tithing to increase because we can't make budget. Can I hear an amen? amen? So, number one, the tithe allows the church to function. Secondly, the tithe teaches me to put God first. Deuteronomy 14.22, you must tithe all of your crops every year. Bring this tithe to eat before the Lord your God at the place he shall choose as his sanctuary. This applies to your tithes of grain, new wine, olive oil, and the firstborn of your flocks and herds. Listen to this. Here's the key. The purpose of tithing is to teach you always to put God first in your lives. I love that. The purpose of tithing is to teach you always to put God first in your lives. In Mark 10, we read the story of the rich young ruler, this guy who had everything, but he suddenly realizes one day he lacks eternal life. And so he approaches Jesus with the most wonderful question. Master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Mark 10 and 21, we pick up the story. It says, Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go and sell everything that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. But at this man's face fell and he went away sad because he had great wealth. Wow. Why did Jesus suddenly start talking about this man's wealth? Because this guy is talking about some really important things. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Why did Jesus flip that, almost seemingly ignoring the question, and start talking about his money? 
Well, again, Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters. Either he will love the one and hate the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money, God and mammon, God and material things. And what Jesus was in, in effect was saying was this, hey, listen, rich young ruler, I am so glad that you want eternal life. But there's one thing you lack. What's the one thing I've identified that you've already got a master in your life? And if you're going to receive eternal life, it involves trading that master for a new one. So get rid of your wealth. And we know that Jesus hit the nail on the head because it says the guy went away sad. You can talk, anything you, talk to me about anything you like, Jesus, but do not talk to me about my money. And again, friends, the purpose of the tithe is to teach me to put God first. God knows that money has such a stronghold on us. The principle here is if we can trust God first with our money, then we can trust God with anything. So the tithe is a great discipline that teaches us that principle of putting God first. And thirdly and finally, and I'm almost done, the team can probably come back up. The tithe actually helps me increase my faith in God. Do you know the Bible tells us uh, on more than one occasion not to test the Lord your God. There is one exception to that principle. And we find it in Malachi 3 and 9, which we've already started reading. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house, test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. And see if I'll not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have enough room for it. You see, our tithing is the only time in the Word of God where God says, test me in this. And God actually offers to you and me a challenge. And he says, I dare you, start tithing and see what happens. And he makes a promise not only to bless you with more, but he also promises to protect what you already have. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. See if I'll not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will have, uh, not have room enough for it. <clears throat> I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not cast their fruit, says the Lord Almighty. Now, let me be very, very clear about this, because there are some who preach this as some kind of, uh, you know, poker machine. Stick a coin in, pull the thing, you're going to get a jackpot. That's not the principle here. There are those who preach that and they are wrong. And again, Malachi is addressing God's people who received the blessing of God, but they had forgotten that God was the source of the blessing that they lived under. And in their God-given wealth, they had become so secure and so self-sufficient that it seemed we no longer need to honour God with our tithe. What it simply means is that when you honour God with your tithe, God will prove faithful to you. And God says, test me in this. And it's only in regards to tithing that we have in God's word this two-way test. God tells us to test him whilst at the same time he is testing us. And again, Luke 16 and 10, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. Whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true 
riches. So here's the dot points. Number one, tithing allows the church to function, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. That might be provision. Number two, tithing teaches me to put God first. And number three, tithing is just one of these great ways that our faith and our trust in God grows. So I hope that's helpful this morning. We'll pick this up again in two weeks' time. Are we all good? Let's pray.